Okay, so I know it's been a while. We did have a, um, a sing last Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. Right? Somebody confirm that for me. Yes. yes, okay. Uh, but let's try to think back about the last lesson we did. We were talking about coming to the realization that God, so to speak, isn't only in the church building, right? He should be a part of our lives wherever we are. Our behavior, our attitudes toward God ought to be consistent, and we ought to go wherever we go, mindful of the fact that um, God is, in a way, there with us, and that he is, uh, we can be his co-worker in this effort of evangelism. And the goal is to, if we have this mindset, to realize, you know, not to compartmentalize these different areas of our life, and we have these secular areas of our life that's untouched by God, and we just go through work or school or whatever, our routines, not thinking about him, not thinking how we can bring others to him. We're trying to avoid that. So there were some questions that were asked. If you have something prepared, raise your hand as we go through this. I want to hear some of your guys' answers. If you don't have anything prepared, I hope you can think on your feet and still raise your hands, and we can discuss some of these. So the first one was, why is it tempting to think God only occupies one space? And if you're there at the lesson, this idea of, you know, it's like you go to the church building to visit God, and then you go home, and God's nowhere to be found. Why is it tempting, do you think, to think this way? Or maybe why is it, you know, why would somebody want to think this way? Yes, sir. Right, so this idea that the church building is somehow like the temple of the Old Testament. Um, that's definitely a good point. You know, you can pray to God and even sing praises to Him uh, on your own or with your family at home. And I hope that's something we're involved in. So that might be part of it. You know, we, maybe we have this teaching in our background or whatever it is, or we've been influenced by the culture around us to think that about the church building. And obviously, you know, you could worship God those of you who've been on mission trips, I know Bob's seen this a lot, you can worship God in some pretty interesting places that don't require four walls, um, AC, carpet, etc. though that is nice. Anybody else? Why might be tempting to think this way? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, it can be easy or tempting to justify ourselves with our behavior outside of church or outside of church functions, but part of what we're trying to do is strive for consistency. That's a good point. Um, and we talked about that last time with, uh, you know, lying in the church building. Why is that any worse than lying at home, you know, and trying to be consistent? Anybody else have anything on this one? Why am I be tempting to think this way about God? Or have you ever experienced that in your own life? Yeah.
Yeah, definitely. The world, you know, is a tempting place, but it can be easy to be Christian in name only. I think, you know, we might know a lot of folks who fit that description. Hopefully, that's not true of us or members of the Lord's Church, but that temptation is always there. You know, I was thinking about, you think about careers today. Careers, you know, like when my dad worked, he would go to work, he'd punch a time clock, he'd punch out, it was done. But many careers aren't like that anymore. It's almost a 24-hour, you know, yeah. seven-day-a-week, 365. And yesterday, I mean, last evening, Chad, I think Chad was getting calls about work, you know. And, and we're sort of out of control. You know, we have no control over that. But yet, you know, we can take God and maybe we put him in a box because we can control that. Mm. You know, I'll put him in this Sunday morning box, so here's one thing that I can do, or at least we think that we do, yeah. because there's so many other things here that, you know, I'm tied into 24 hours, seven days a week that I don't have control over. Right. But I can, in my mind, think I can control God, so I'll put him in this little box and then I can forget about him for a while yeah. while these other things are taking taking my time and taking my thought processes. Yeah, that's a great point. Definitely uh, something that might be tempting to do. As we, you know, I know a lot of people in my generation with secular jobs, it is kind of set up like that. You know, it's not just the go in, you check in, you check out. I know a lot of people who work from home or work from wherever they have internet connection, they can work, you know, so um, definitely can start taking over people's lives. Anybody else on this one? Yes, sir. Sometimes help children they have to me when they're away from home and what they would at home because they think my parents will see. Sometimes Christians think well at home at the church, at the church building, you should say. Right. I have to act one way, but out in the world, my job or whatever <coughs> differently. Yeah, that's no that's a great point. That old phrase, what is it, when the cat's away? The mice will play, something like that, you know. Definitely can be true in a home context, but also at church as well, you know. If you ever find yourself doing something and you're looking over your shoulders to see if there's anybody from church around just to make sure, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Um, yeah, that's a great point. So moving on to the second one. How can we live like God is everywhere we are? And this is, you know, I'm not suggesting some kind of pantheism where God is the universe or anything like that. But just this idea of striving towards that consistency of, even at work, you know, God is aware of what I'm doing. I should be living for him. Any ideas, either practically or uh, what that might look like? Yes, sir. Yeah, so humility is a part of that. If you think that each second, that realization of, you know, I'm dependent on God right now, and you think, well, you know, I'm breathing, and I'm just, you know, Paul says in him we live, we move, and we have our being. We're dependent on him just even for the little stuff. So maybe that mindset would help us. Anybody else on that one? How can we, how can we live that way? Yeah, that's a good point. Thinking about it as a uh, not compartmentalizing things and realizing our necessity or dependence on him. Yeah. Somebody has something over here? Yes, ma'am. I think before we make decisions in our 
Yeah, for sure. And I think um, I don't have the, if you ask my wife, she'll tell you I'm pretty indecisive, especially at restaurants. But I, uh, I try to have a filter almost, you know, when I have big life decisions. I pray about it first. And then I see, you know, is there anything God's word says about this that I can see? And, you know, sometimes God's word won't necessarily specifically address something, but there'll be a principle there that I can apply. And then I'll try to ask people that I know are wise that I can look up to and see what they think about it, you know, seek some counsel. Um, but I think if you're running, you know, running decisions, big decisions in your life through something like that, that definitely helps. Anything, anybody else? How about uh, in the workplace? For those of you who had experiences trying to, you know, connect with God or be mindful of God in the workplace, you know, I'm familiar. I think most of us here probably read Muscle on a Shovel. And, you know, I'm a, like the star of that book, that guy Randall, um, that all started at work. You know, and for him, that, you know, work wasn't a place without God. He brought that into his workplace. So how about in the workplace or even, you know, if we're at uh, an event with some friends or something, what about there? How can we... You know, live consistently. mindset of what God would do. And I think prayer, too, helps with this. You know, prayer is communication with God, being plugged in with God. And you can do that anywhere you are, as long as you're conscious. You can pray. You don't have to close your eyes, especially not if you're driving. Um, but you can go to God in prayer, wherever you are, whether it's at the workplace or wherever, and have the, those moments alone with Him, even though you might not be alone physically. Um, anything else on this, on this one? Oh, okay. So then really it starts with a realization and a mindset. And then you follow through with it with your actions. And maybe, you know, every morning we can pray, God, help us to remember that I'm living for you no matter where I am, that people are looking up to me, that I can have an influence on those around me. Help us to seize those opportunities. Okay, so this third one, I know this language kind of uh, isn't the best, but this idea of uncaging God, this idea of allowing God to infiltrate every area of our life, how do you think, if we live that out, how would that impact our evangelism practices? What do you think? Definitely would help. Definitely would help? Yeah. For sure. Yes, ma'am, what were you well, going to say? Yeah, definitely. Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, let your light so shine before men. Why? So that they may see your good works and glorify your God, Father in heaven. And then Peter talks about that too. Having your conduct pure and undefiled among the Gentiles so that when they see your good conduct, they can glorify God on the day of visitation. So that's definitely a part of it. It'll help us live consistently, which might draw people to God. What else? How else would it impact our evangelism? Okay. 
Right. If you know God's on your side and he's your, he's your co-worker, if you will, your master, then it becomes less frightening. Let's rephrase the question like this, maybe. What are some things, why don't we evangelize more than we could? Why don't we have spiritual conversations with people? What are some reasons you think, either from your personal life or from reasons that you see? Fear of rejection. Fear of rejection, okay. So what if I say something to this person, invite them to church services, talk to them about Jesus, something, and they just brush me off, or they just are like, okay, I don't want to hear anything about that. That's kind of an awkward situation. We'd rather avoid than experience, right? So that fear of rejection, how does living consistently like God is everywhere we are, how does that realization help us overcome fear of rejection? Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. The fact that God knows what's going on. And also, I think part of that is a social thing. Everybody wants to make friends and have friends. And we might be scared of losing a friend or creating an awkward situation. But no friend is a better friend than God. Right? And if it comes down to it, if I'm going to please God or be pleasing to Joe Schmo, um, I should probably choose God. I think that's a good reminder. You know, at the end of the day, there's social rejection. What is it compared to being pleasing to God and maybe influencing another soul to join the kingdom? I think we're up here and then we'll come back to you. That's a great point, and I'm glad you said that, because that's what we're going to talk about today in this lesson. This idea of, okay, we need to tell others about Jesus. How exactly do we go about that? You know, and this idea of um, having the wisdom to know when to bring that up, but also sometimes, and I'm not saying you or anybody here does this, but we can use that idea as a reason to never talk about Jesus. You know what I mean? So we have to be careful. Yeah, there is an opportune time, but at the same time, that doesn't mean there never is an opportune time, you know, so that's something to keep in mind. But that's a great point. We're going to talk about that in the lesson in a little bit. David? Right. 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 Right.
right. Yeah. Definitely. And kind of this idea of Moses was the most qualified person to do what God was trying to get him to do, but he still made those excuses. And there's people in our life where we're the most qualified person to share the gospel with them. We might be the only person with a close relationship to them who, in the first place, even knows the gospel, right? And then we can, but we can use some of those same excuses. So kind of trying to overcome that. Yeah, that's a great point. Chad and then Marvin. For sure. And we're going to talk more about that. That's a great point. Marvin? That's a great point. At least doing it once, right? Instead of saying, no, I'm not even going to try. At least try. And then if they reject it again and again and again, it's like, okay. But not even trying, you know, that's a whole other story. Um, I know there's a lot more we can talk about this, but we're going to move on into the lesson tonight. And I have another video from him. We're going to, for the sake of time, skip it to talk about, and this is just a placeholder until later, we're going to talk about uh, this chapter in the book. And this idea, the chapter of the book this one is called Telling Others About Jesus, okay? So that idea of trying to make those conversations more a part of our life, that idea of what about rejection, when should we bring these things up, stuff like that. So he gives an example of when he was a fresh Christian, young Christian, new Christian, if you will, and he was riding the public transit where he's from in Canada, Nova Scotia, something, somewhere in Nova Scotia, I think. Maybe that, I don't know, cities, provinces, I don't know how Canada works, but, so he's on this bus to community college, and these two girls get on and sit in front of him, and they're young, you know, college students just like he is, and one is talking to the other about how she cheated on her boyfriend, and they're just talking back and forth, all this stuff, and he's, you know, eavesdropping to the whole thing, and he's like, okay, here's my chance. I'm going to jump into this conversation I'm going to try to share the gospel with this young lady. So he jumps into the conversation. He says, well, you know, that's not what God would want you to do. And he starts talking about how God really cares about faithfulness and how, you know, fornication is a sin and all this other stuff. And he thinks he really hit it out of the park. He's like, I changed these girls' lives. They're going to ask me for a Bible study later. Like, these are going to be the first people I convert, all this different stuff. And they get off the bus, go to school, and then on the way back, one of them, the friend, is on the bus again, and he sits next to her. And he says, so what do you think about what I said earlier? You know, it's a good point, yada, yada, yada. And she stops him and just chews him out and said, you know, that's the last thing we need to hear, all this different stuff. Um, 
And he thought it was going to be, you know, he was doing the right thing. He thought it was going to be really successful. But it turns out, you know, butting into strangers' conversation about very personal matters wasn't necessarily the best route to go in trying to share the gospel with somebody. Um, so he just gives that as an example of something that maybe he shouldn't have done. But he still says that a fruitful method, and I think we'd all agree with this, of evangelism is getting into the habit of entering Jesus and spiritual things into conversations naturally. And that's the goal of what we're trying to look at tonight. So the goal is to try to find a balance. And there's two extremes we can sit on. The first is that we don't want to offend anybody. And we live in a culture that's pretty obsessed with this idea of political correctness and this idea of there's some things you just don't talk about. That's the way I was raised in my household. Two things you don't talk about, politics and religion, right? You've probably heard that before. That's the way I kind of grew up. And, but we have to kind of fight against that cultural mindset of these are things that are off limits. But if the people we're talking to feel that way, we have to make sure we approach them in a wise way. Um, so we can't be so worried about offending somebody that we never talk about Jesus at all. Um, as you can see there, point C under point two. And this doesn't mean that we can never, you know, we should just be as abrasive as we can. That's not what I'm saying. But at the same time, we can't be afraid of offending people. But we have to recognize that the gospel, by its very nature, is going to convict people. And we have to be comfortable to accept those circumstances. Look at John 16, verses 7 through 11. If you would turn there in your Bibles and notice what Jesus says but the role of the Holy Spirit and how he does these things still today through the word. John 16, verses 7 through 11, if somebody will want to read that for us. Thank you. So we see there that Jesus says he'll send the Spirit after he leaves, the Comforter, the Helper. And part of the Spirit's role post-ascension of Jesus is to convict the world of sin and righteousness. And of course, that's done today through uh, the Word of God. But when we share the Gospel, when we start having those spiritual conversations, people might be convicted. They might be, you know, their toes might be stepped on a little bit. But at the end of the day, we can't be afraid of bringing these things up. Um, also, look at Acts 24, 24 through 25. Somebody can read that for us. Acts 24, 24 through 25. And this is Paul in front of Felix. Notice this exchange. It's really interesting to me what Paul, what Luke records Paul talks about, and then Felix's response. Acts 24, 24 through 25. Thank you. So Paul, who by all measures is a master evangelist, gets what might be his only shot to really talk to Felix, who's a high up, powerful official. And it says that he talks about, notice there what it says, he reasoned 
about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. So, you know, just think about our culture today. If there are three topics, somebody might want to say, I don't want to talk about, it might be righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. But Paul uses his opportunity, I think, in a wise way, in a gentle way, in a loving way, to bring up these things. And there's a difference in knowing, uh, sorry, there's a difference in saying unnecessarily offensive things, just because of whether it's our personality or whatever it may be, and saying things that are true and need to be said, but might be taken offensively. There's a difference between those two things. Paul's not trying to offend Felix, but he's saying, look, I want to share the gospel with you while I have that opportunity, and these things are a part of that message. But notice Felix's response. It says, at least in the ESV, that he was alarmed, a little worried. And he said, go away. <laughs> um, and when I get an opportunity, I'll, I'll summon you. And then later, we read that Felix was really just trying to get a bribe out of Paul. So he wasn't really interested in spiritual things to begin with, even though he married a Jew. But you see what Paul talked about there. Um, so our goal is to lovingly bridge that gap of this idea that some things are off limits. And lovingly bridge that gap of people who may be uncomfortable having spiritual conversations. And to do this, one of the things we need to do is value the souls of individuals. And I think all of us here would say that we do value the souls of individuals, and I would agree with you. I think we all do that. But we have to keep in mind, in our interactions, a goal of ours should be to help this soul get back to their creator. And if that's a goal, it's going to kind of try to, it's going to shape not only our behavior, but it's going to shape our conversation. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, and see what Paul says about this idea of trying to bridge that gap and trying to be an evangelist just as a way of life. 1 Corinthians 9, somebody wants to read that for us. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Thank you. So what a, part of what Paul is saying here or emphasizing is his adaptability. And I think that's something that we, as we try to share the gospel with others, should be aware of. You know, if there's something, whether it's a practice or a certain topic or whatever it may be, that we know will offend the person we're talking to, and if we don't have to bring it up right now, maybe we can wait. Maybe we can have that conversation down the road when they're more open, when they're more susceptible, when they're more willing. But we see Paul, he's yielding to others. He's avoiding, as far as he can, what offends them. He's trying to be personable. He's trying to be adaptable. He wouldn't necessarily have the same approach talking to, uh, you know, a 23-year-old atheist as he would talking to a 68-year-old denominational person. You know, the same things might not work. 
So I think we need to have that idea and we can't really know what's going to bother somebody or be effective to somebody unless we know them, right? But that's where we start. We start with the people we know trying to have these conversations. Uh, any questions or comments so far? Okay. I want us to turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to spend a majority of the lesson looking at some lessons from this text. Luke chapter 10, verses 10 through 16. And this is part of what some people call the limited commission, where Jesus sends out the 72 disciples to spread the good news. And notice what he says here coming up in verses 10 through 16. Now he sent out these 72 disciples. They're going to cast out demons. They're going to heal people. They're going to preach the gospel. And this is his send out. Beginning in verse 10. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Beth- Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had, done, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will be exalted to heaven, you shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So we see this limited commission, if you will. And part of what Jesus was trying to get his disciples to understand is they shouldn't be afraid to tell the truth. And Chad mentioned this earlier. A couple other people mentioned this earlier. You know, the job of the evangelist is to sow the seed. It's to share the message. It's to try to get people thinking about these things. But the burden to accept and believe the message is on the individual. There's nothing we can do to make somebody do that. And in this case, he's saying you're going to go to these towns. If they reject you, this is what you do. And he talks about wiping the feet, the dust from their feet. This was a sort of um, prophetic symbol of moving on, of uh, going on to the next place. And more than that, he compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah, those who reject the message. And part of what this tells us is that there is such a thing as time-wasting evangelism. Notice, when he sent out these disciples, he didn't say, now stay in this town, and if they reject you, just stay there until they accept you. That's not what he said. He said, well, move on. There's other people who need to be talked to. Move on. And that's part of what he had the disciples to do. Um, so again, you know, the job of the evangelist is to share the word, share the seed, hope it takes root, um, but the burden to believe is on them. So we must strive for this truth-telling evangelism, not being afraid to the, tell the truth. We already looked at some of these verses. Though the gospel is good news, we cannot ignore the importance of repentance, self-control, etc. We can't change the message to try to make it more acceptable to people but we can wisely choose what we're going to say when. And I'll give you an example. Um, has anybody done the Fishers of Men course here, like the whole thing? A couple of us. If you remember, the lesson on um, instrumental music, if I'm not mistaken, that's lesson 11. So you go through 11 lessons in the Fishers of Men course, and they, you don't even talk about instrumental music yet. 
And sometimes, depending on who we're in a conversation with, that's the first thing we want to talk about. And maybe for some people that might be effective, but there's a lot of groundwork to lay before you start talking about instrumental music. You know, I'm not going to debate somebody about instrumental music if they doubt whether or not the Bible is even worth following. So there's, you know, there's a progress to go, and there's some things that, I'm not saying they're off limits, but maybe they're wiser to hold until later. It's not that you're trying to fool anybody. It's just you got to think about when it would be a good time to bring this up in the conversation. Um, and sometimes a wise rebuke is effective if you know the person. And I'll give you an example from the book. He talks about this lady whose husband came to church all the time, wasn't a Christian, and then he stopped coming. And he asked why, and he knew him well. Through this time where this guy was coming to church, him and the preacher, the guy who wrote the book, became pretty good friends. And when he started, stopped coming, he wrote him and said, why would you stop coming to church? And he said, well, I'm just sick of all the hypocrites. I see how these people are and how they live, and I just don't think they're genuine, yada, yada, yada. And the author of the book's response was, because he knew him well, he said, what makes you think you'll like hypocrites anymore if you're in hell? I don't, whoa, what? It probably shook him up, you know what I mean? But he started coming to church, he ended up being baptized. Now part of that was, they already had a relationship, he knew that that's something he could say to him without him becoming so angry that he never saw him again. So sometimes somebody in our life, uh, you know, there's a, there's, there might be a time to rebuke. Um, and also, this is the main thing I want us to get from tonight. I'm going to read this quote from the book, and we're going to look at a couple of verses. People might become upset after hearing the truth of the message of God, but don't let that ever stop you from sharing it. If they reject truth, they are not rejecting you, they are rejecting God. Look at, in that passage, I hope you're still there, Luke 10, 16, the one who hears you hears me, the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Sometimes we make this more personal than it really is. Um, they're rejecting God, they're not rejecting me. Like Chad mentioned from 1 Samuel 8, 7, where uh, um, Samuel was pretty upset that the people no longer wanted him as a judge. And God said, look, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Something to keep in mind. Um, so our goal for this week, and I know time's over, but... Our goal for this week is listed here on the back, point five on the back page, is to get in the habit of including spiritual things in everyday conversations. So the challenge for this week is this. In the first place, think of some ways you can include Jesus or spiritual things in everyday conversations. And secondly, mention Jesus or another spiritual topic in at least one conversation with a non-Christian this week. And if you say, well, I don't see non-Christians throughout the week, um, go on Facebook or email or phone call. Do something. Call a family member if you have to. And be ready to answer these questions next week. So this is our challenge. Think of how to include Jesus. Do it at least once. And be ready to answer these questions. What did you say? How did it feel? And I don't mean like in like a weird way, but did it feel comfortable to you? Was it uncomfortable? Why? Also, what was the response? Did they just ignore it? Did they brush it off? Did it lead to questions or a further conversation? And then fourthly, what can be done better next week? Maybe there's something we said that we shouldn't have. Maybe we could have said more. Maybe we could have said something to somebody different. Uh, so these are the things we're going to think about. Again, if you don't have a handout, I'll get you one so you can have this. And we're all going to do this, myself included. 
I already got the person in mind I'm going to talk to. And uh, next week, we'll start out by answering these questions, seeing how it went. And I hope it is uh, a good start. All right, any questions or comments before we close this? No? Okay, let's pray real quick, and then we'll be done. God, our Father, we thank you again for this opportunity. We pray that you will help us to have spiritual conversations with those who may be seeking, those who are not Christians. Help each one of us this week to have at least one of those conversations with somebody, at least to mention something that may get somebody's mind thinking about you and your son. Please give us the bravery and the courage to do this. Help us to uh, do it and to remember that you're with us, to remember that any time we're rejected, it's actually you who's being rejected and not us. Father, give us the strength and the courage we need uh, to be better evangelists. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We pray that we will uh, seek to spread it wherever we go. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys.